Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello and welcome. I was shopping a couple of days ago, and as I walked down the aisles, it was evident within moments of entering the store that the holidays are on their way. Of course, in the hard goods sections, they have lots of Christmas trees and cheery decorations. And in the grocery region, they are loaded with every kind of carbohydrate you can imagine. Aisles packed with chocolate chips and pumpkin for baking and white sugar and brown sugar and confectioner's sugar and every kind of quick and easy baking mix that you can imagine. Some people see these signs of the holidays as cheery and comforting because they remind us we're going to be seeing our families soon, we're going to have some time off from work, and we're going to hopefully recreate the best memories of our own childhood as we pass these memories on to the next generation. But if you are somebody who has struggled for any significant part of your life, with abnormal cravings for sweets and carbohydrates, then these vast displays of food that most of us should eat less of really do nothing more than provoke a lot of anxiety. You're struggling from the moment you see them. Your cravings are telling you, this is wonderful, I should buy this, this, and this. And your common sense is telling you, you really need to watch what you're eating. Even many of the most enthusiastic nutritionists out there will tell people, you know what, you can't be perfect all the time. It's valuable to allow yourself some treats now and then. Enjoy the holidays. And this advice makes really good sense for the average person on the street with average cravings for holiday sweets. But if you have intense cravings, you know that letting yourself have a little bit is going to lead to a little bit more and a little bit more. Moderation is not an option. And because your experience with cravings may be so vastly different from that of the people around you, it becomes a very private and very personal internal battle that you carry with you through all the holiday celebrations. You know the battle well because you fight with it every Monday morning when your friendly co-worker shows up with a box of donuts for the team. You measure your battle wounds each week when you get on the scale. And the very fact that you're alive and well today tells you that you are somewhat of a hero. You have won more fights than you've lost. But as you look at your peers and you look at the relaxed, comfortable, interactions they have around food, you can't help but wonder how is their experience with food different than yours? Surely the willpower that they are showing while remaining so relaxed can't be as enormous a struggle as the willpower that you are using just to be in the same room with all this stuff you shouldn't be eating. Now, I realize that the cravings I'm describing are not universal. This is not something everybody experiences. While every single one of us is going to experience cravings now and then, 
If cravings are dominating your daily thoughts, it's a good sign that you are biochemically out of balance. The good news is that help is on the way. I'm going to talk about some of the new breakthroughs and some of the old and underutilized breakthroughs that have been attained in the past 80 years as we have begun to consider the impacts of weight, obesity, and diet on our overall health and our productivity. So let's start with looking at the impact. The United States Centers for Disease Control recently posted online that between the years 2017 and 2020, more than 41% of the adult population was obese. I'm not talking a little bit overweight. I'm not talking pudgy. I'm not talking chubby cheeks. I'm talking obese. So were almost 20% of our children. In the year 2019 alone, the medical costs for obese adults were $1,861 higher than medical costs for people with a healthy weight. And while society has been far too quick to point the finger at the victim and say, why don't you just eat less? The fact is, as early as 1940, physicians were wondering, is obesity a disease? Is there something biochemically different between those people who maintain a healthy weight and go through life eating, drinking, and marry, and those people who can't seem to help eating more than their bodies can metabolize. I was raised in a church that taught gluttony was sinful, which implied that anybody who is overweight is a sinful glutton. That same church also taught that there were similarities between sickness and sin. In fact, the root words from which both terms were derived in ancient languages were the same. We haven't always separated mental and physical health from one another the way we do today. In the 20th century, we saw an explosion of industrialization in our food industry. And with that, we saw an explosion in the availability of low-cost, high-calorie, nutrient-depleted fast foods. Growing up in the 70s, I really thought that a bowl of post-honeycomb cereal with milk on top and a glass of milk next to it made for a healthy breakfast. In the wintertime, we might trade that for a bowl of malto meal or a bowl of oatmeal, but we always added sugar or maybe a spoonful of jelly to the mix. We thought this was wholesome, but I promise you, my energy at school always dipped long before lunchtime. In my early teens, that energy would drip so suddenly that I often found myself passing out on the volleyball courts in PE. Needless to say, I was not the first one chosen for team sports. While I've never been classified as obese, my struggle to maintain a healthy weight has been constant. Some of my consolation has been the knowledge that I'm not alone and that hope was on the horizon. I've observed a slow and steady growth in research 
pointing to the fact that weight management is genetically and biochemically regulated. And I've seen this evidence shift the way society perceives people with weight problems. When I was a child, there was no mercy shown. And I was grateful that I enjoyed enough success in my battle of the bulge that my pain was largely personal and private. I was a normal enough weight that if I worried about my weight out loud, most people thought I was being ridiculous. They didn't understand that it wasn't so much the pounds on my body that I was worried about. Rather, it was the fact that that white-fisted willpower that kept me in a normal weight was physically and emotionally exhausting. I watched two brothers battle with alcoholism, and I often felt that our experiences really were not that different. I was as tempted by sweet foods as they were by liquor. What I was not aware of in my 20s was that as early as 1948, the World Health Organization recognized and established obesity as a disease. The American Medical Association was much slower to make this claim, with America's food manufacturing giants in high-growth mode One can only imagine how much this delay may have been influenced by political interests. In any case, by 2013, there was such a preponderance of scientific evidence that weight is regulated by genetic and biochemical factors that even the American Medical Association recognized obesity as a disease. By this time, images of obese mice who were genetically identical to thin mice with the exception of genes involved in making the protein leptin were widely available, and obesity had reached epidemic proportions in our own country. The decades of research surrounding weight have provided numerous insights into how we can keep our weight under control And people with mild cravings and mild tendencies to eat when they should not can find great success in simply focusing on better nutrition. Make sure you're getting enough protein. Make sure you're getting enough whole food. And cut back on those heavily processed, heavily salted, heavily sweetened fast foods that are setting your body's biochemistry out of balance. Most of us can benefit from eating more green vegetables, but while many health gurus out there recommend replacing the meat in your diet with vegetable sources of protein, I've seen far too many vegetarians out there eating heavily processed vegetarian foods in a concentrated effort to meet all their protein needs coming from plants. Keep in mind that every step in the processing of a food from the time it leaves the field to the time it lands in your plate is stripping that food of nutrients. I would personally rather see somebody replace the simple carbohydrates in their diet, the flours and the sugars, with leafy green vegetables than replacing the meat in their diet with some kind of ground soybean meal. Now remember that my opinions about diet and nutrition are coming from my understanding of biology, biochemistry, and restoration, 
not from formal coursework in nutrition. So if I'm saying something that sounds controversial to you, check it out, explore it deeper, research it with your local nutritionist, and consider what will work best for you. Personally, adding meats, adding fats, and adding a good multivitamin to my routine was not enough to eliminate my cravings, but it was enough to reduce those cravings to a more manageable level. In fact, those sweet cravings diminished so remarkably that I was stunned to find out that even though my sweet cravings were gone, I still had a tendency to eat more food than I needed to. And this willpower battle was still significant. In the last five or ten years, I've seen a lot of new pharmaceutical products released, but I've been hesitant to explore them deeply in part because I was really hopeful that good nutrition would be enough, and I've made some major changes in my diet over the years, and in part because I've had a lot of bad physical side effects that have resulted from the various pharmaceuticals I've been prescribed in the course of my lifetime. So I'm not somebody who is quick to look at a new pharmaceutical product that my doctor recommends. But the intensity of my own battle with cravings has been so high, so prolonged, and so exhaustive that even a pharmaceutical approach sounds better than the long-term effects of excess weight. The last decade has yielded an explosion in research and new pharmaceuticals that target biochemical pathways regulating appetite and satiation. I've recently ventured into exploring the class of drugs called GLP-1 agonists. GLP-1 stands for glucagon-like peptide 1, and what these drugs do is interrupt those biochemical pathways involved in insulin regulation and appetite regulation. In fact, they are primarily listed and marketed as medications to support type 2 diabetes. Like any medication, these drugs have side effects and should only be considered after the attempts to control symptoms with diet, exercise, stress reduction, and good living have been exhausted. The fact is many patients are reporting remarkable success controlling their cravings and controlling their appetite after starting these medications. So as the holidays approach, if you're dealing with moderate cravings, consider focusing on a healthy diet, getting the nutrients you need, getting the right kind of exercise. And I know I didn't mention this earlier, but it goes without saying that exercise is an important part of this formula. And if you enjoy a few of the indulgences that the holidays have to offer, simply enjoy them and move on. But if you are one of those millions who struggles with those intense cravings that make your holidays, social gatherings, and other food-centered experiences more anxiety-provoking than a visit from the ghost of Christmas yet to come, it might be time for you to visit with your physician about some of the new options available for regulating appetite and cravings. I'm going to include some links in the show notes below to nutritional supplements that can be helpful in taming those cravings that may arise from nutritional deficiencies. 
I'm also going to include some links to some research articles and research summaries that explain how GLP-1 agonists influence appetite. This brings us to the end of today's episode. Please join me next time for a look at the struggle for personal freedom that underlies the workplace chaos we're seeing in the era of the Great Resignation. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.